Hey all, hope you're doing well. Um, I'm actually going to try something a little bit different this week uh, for the podcast for this episode. Currently, whilst recording the Memphis Timberwolves game is going on right now. The Grizzlies Timberwolves game is going on right now. So this is actually the end of the first quarter. I just wanted to kind of take this as a, a time to have a different format where I just talk about the game as the quarters are ending, what I'm noticing throughout the trends of the game. And who knows, this might be how the show is from now on. I'm just trying to experiment with some new stuff. But let's talk about that first quarter. First of all, wow. Um, Timberwolves fans, you've got to be super excited. I mean, you should be super excited anyway because the series is currently 1-1. That's the biggest reason that if you're a Timberwolves fan, you should be excited. Because this team on paper does not deserve that. So kudos to you, but also kudos to you for making it a heck of an opening to game number three. The Timberwolves have just come out on fire. And it's not just offensively. Defensively, I really like everybody is super active. There's guys jumping passing lanes. There's rotations are snappy and timely. The Timberwolves are looking really, really good right now uh, for this game. They had 39 points to end the uh, the first quarter. They had 41 in the first quarter when they took game one in Memphis. So, great start. That being said, I expect the end of the quarter is going to be good for the Grizzlies because they've made a lot of really bad defensive lapses. Just... Stuff that was really off. Guys not being where they're supposed to be. Guys falling asleep at the wheel. Uh, There was a possession, four or five possessions before the end of the quarter. They just fell asleep. There were two guys at the top on defense just fell asleep. One was uh, Tyus Jones and the other, um, I can't remember who was up there with him. I think it might have been Kyle Anderson. But regardless of who it was, you cannot fall asleep against this team, especially because, one, they're the underdogs, and two, this is a good offensive team. Offense is not the problem. Putting points on the board is not the Timberwolves' problem. So, you gotta clean that up to start the second quarter. And also, you gotta clean up the dumb fouls. Some of those fouls that the the Grizzlies have gotten has just been... They've just been fouls where you're not paying attention. Jaron Jackson Jr. picked up too quick. You, You can't. If you're Jaron Jackson Jr., you have to understand your value in this series is being someone who can guard Cat well. You're the best matchup that your team has for Cat. We've seen that Steven Adams is not up to the task. He's just not quick enough. Cat can take him right off the dribble. JJJ is your best option. He's got to be available for as long as possible. I'm also expecting Jaw to come out be a little bit more aggressive in the second quarter. He came out not really... I don't want to say that he was being timid and he wasn't attacking, but it was almost too much, let me get my guys involved, let me get other people involved. And there was... He was picking up the ball really early up top after crossing half, so I expect to see that different as we go into the second quarter. All right, and that is the second quarter in the books. Let's talk about that first half as a whole. Um, Great game, first of all. Um, I I was kind of afraid for the Grizzlies. Not that they'll lose. I mean, you know, 48 minutes of basketball is a whole lot of ball to play, but I was really concerned with the energy level in that first quarter. But enough about the first quarter. Let's talk about the second quarter real quick. First off, the Grizzlies' offense super disappointing to watch. Um, they did end up closing that gap in the in the second quarter, and, you know, good on them for that, but the offense just stagnates way too much. When you've got a team that plays with as much heart and plays as hard as the Timberwolves do, you cannot have the offense stagnate. It's, it's obviously not impossible to overcome, but everybody has really got to be hitting their shots, and So far, the best shot maker for the Grizzlies has been Desmond Bain. And, you know, in these playoff series, in the the playoffs in general, like, you need 
the others to come through for you. And that's what the Grizzlies are doing right now. At least that's what Desmond Bain is doing right now. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, about Dylan Brooks and the rest here in a second. Um, not a whole lot of Jaron Jackson Jr. in that second quarter, and that's because of foul trouble. And that's something that I know that Jaron is young, and he's obviously a great player. He's a defensive player of the year candidate. I know he did not win this season, but he's really, really good. He, again, can't afford to have him go out early. Now, thankfully, what the Grizzlies are doing defensively is they're getting the ball out of Cat's hands. They're making him take the ball really high, and they're making him a playmaker if he ever gets inside. And that's the that's the way to beat this team. That's, in, in my opinion, you take away Carl Anthony Towns, you make those young guards. You make those young guards play ball. And that's what you do. Um, the Timberwolves... Their, their X-Factor guy is D'Angelo Russell. If D'Angelo Russell plays well, then more than likely the Timberwolves are good to go. And what's hard about what's hard about D'Angelo Russell is that he does all of the big things right. It's just some sometimes those little things that seem really easy that he just kind of has, has mental lapses on. And he's been he's been really good at the start of this game, but you've got to make him and Anthony Edwards beat you, and that's what the that's what the Grizzlies have been doing. They've been getting the ball out of Cat's hands, making him a passer instead of a scorer. Uh, they've done a good job doing that. Let me pull up these these first half stats really quickly. So. Another big problem with Memphis is their leading scorer is Desmond Bain. He's 5 for 11, 5 for 8 from 3 at the half. Ja has only attempted 7 shots. That's not going to cut it. Now, when he's on the floor, he actually has the best plus-minus for the Grizzlies. He's plus 6, which, like I said, is the best for the Grizzlies, but... He's got to be more involved in play. And that's part of what I was saying about the the offense is stagnating. You've got to find a way to get Ja moving off the ball. When guys are really ball-dominant, slashing-type players, it can be really easy for their offense to stagnate if we're not doing something consciously to have them moving off the ball, trying to get them easy open looks this Timberwolves team is really switchable on defense so just trying to run some just trying to run some pick and roll and get a switch is not going to cut it we have to adjust at the half if you're the Grizzlies you have to adjust at the half to get Ja moving more off the ball we are to the point now where getting his legs back under him is no longer an excuse he has to get it going Seven shot attempts in that first half is unacceptable. He's being pressured into picking the ball up early in the backcourt. If nothing else, let's try to set him early back screens or something. Just something to get him with a lane and a full head of steam going towards the rim. With that, I also think that the Grizzlies need to push the ball in transition. The the Timberwolves kudos to the Timberwolves because I feel like I've been talking really highly about the Grizzlies but in that second quarter and in the first half really the energy the things that have led to Minnesota's success has been their energy level on offense and defense just general energy level and also ball movement the ball is popping on the offensive end for them it feels like almost every possession four out of five guys are touching the ball and that's what you need with a team like this Memphis team who plays really hard defensively, but also it's what keeps them deflated because now you've got them moving on all these different passing lanes. You're already up by a lot of points and you're, you're trying to keep that momentum going. Now, the, the Grizzlies did close out. They're only six points, or excuse me, only seven points behind right now at the half. That has to continue. You have to continue moving the ball and playing with that energy if you're Minnesota, if you want to pull this game out at home. Something else that Minnesota has done really well is they 100% have dictated the pace. And generally, generally, if you are in control of the pace, 
you are success you're going to succeed in that game there was a play where pat beverly i thought it was a travel he stood up with the basketball uh, i i was taking notes and as i looked up he was standing up with the basketball so i did not look at the play in its entirety but he threw the ball off the window to himself and laid it up that's just great energy that's just a very that's the most pat bev offensive play i think that has ever happened is he goes down throws the ball off the backboard jaw does not box out he's in bad position he doesn't get his body in front of pat bev the help side d is not there just gets a little layup and then a couple possessions later he gets a dunk gets a one-handed jam in transition so they're playing with great pace they're dictating that pace they're playing with super good energy if you're the timberwolves you have to hold the pace firmly and if you're the grizzlies i would start pushing that ball in transition a little bit more especially if i've got john morant on my team i'm trying to get him going downhill not the whole second half but we need to start out guns blazing in the second half uh, I, I, I feel like I've been really critical of the, the Timberwolves in general, and it's not because I don't like the Timberwolves. Don't misunderstand. I like this Timberwolves team. I don't think they're better than this Grizzlies team, obviously. I do think, however, the playoffs are... It's way more about matchups than it is about seeding. Generally, your higher seeds are obviously going to be tougher matchup problems because that's the trend that they followed to become a higher seed. But at the NBA level, those matchups matter. And this is a this is a tough matchup for the Grizzlies. Now, I'm not saying that the Grizzlies have not had success against the against the Timberwolves previously. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that this is just a tough matchup, especially you know, I said Ja not having his legs under him is no longer an excuse, and it's not. But having him come off injury and then having to play in this series with this group of people, like, that's tough. That's tough. Um, but one of the things, one of the keys to this matchup is obviously Carl Anthony Towns. Like, you, despite how good Anthony Edwards can be and despite the flashes and the future superstardom that he almost certainly has and D'Angelo Russell being a great leader of men on your team if you're Carl Anthony Towns you're the guy and I'm seeing a little bit more of that complaining to the refs after not getting a call or what have you being really emotional about the calls and you're totally allowed but in the beginning of the game in the first quarter of the game he would take some contact or he would get a bump and he would put the shot up or make a great pass stone-faced running down to the other side I love that now I'm not saying you can never be emotional you should be emotional because that means that you care about the game but you have to keep those emotions in check as well Patrick Beverly has been playing with this ultra fire and I'm hoping this is something that he can pass on to Towns but you gotta stop complaining about the calls because in the past two games there have been, and in the play-in, there have been times when you've been complaining to the ref and a play is developing on the other side. That hasn't happened this game yet. I just, I, just, I don't like to see it. I, I don't like to see guys complaining about not getting calls. And I know it's easy for me to say, as someone who is not a professional athlete, it's easy for me to be like, oh, just get over it. But that's just something that I would like to see change from him. And also something I want to see change from him. So you've allowed the Grizzlies to mount a run at the end of the half. That momentum carrying into the second half, if you're Towns, you got to look at your teammates and say, you know what? It's my turn. It's time for me to start taking this game over. Because he's been quiet. He's two for three from the floor. So he's got six points. He's got four rebounds. Defensively, he's been an absolute menace. He got four blocks, and the, all those were super early. Just these nice effort plays. He does have two turnovers, and he has, I think, three fouls. Let me look. 
Yeah, three fouls. So, if you're Towns, in the same way that Jaw has to come out in the second half, you have to come out in the second half because you have to know that the Grizzlies are going to come out firing and you've got to be the guy who says, this comeback is not happening. Where you guys are right now, you're staying there. And for that to happen, I know that he won the three-point contest and I know that he has some decent vision. He has got to catch the ball down low and go to work, dude. His skill set is so good. And in the post, he is so good. But he will not get down there, especially if they put Jaron Jackson Jr. out there. He's in foul trouble too. You've got to put pressure on the Grizzlies inside because that's what opens up the rest of your offense. And thankfully, the rest of the guys have been doing very, very well offensively. I mean, Pat Bev is 5 for 8. He has 12 points. And uh, Anthony Edwards has 7 points on 2 for 5. Not great, but still putting a lot of pressure. D'Angelo Russell is 4 for 8. He's got 10 points. Uh, Malik Beasley has come off the bench doing real well. Good defense, taking smart shots, getting to the free throw line. But with that said, you know, Towns, you, you have to go to work. You have to be the guy. Second half is your half. And I feel this is just a slight... Well, I don't want to make predictions. Like I said, this is a different kind of format for the pod, so I don't want to make any predictions going into this, uh, this second half. But, yeah. So, if you're Carl Anthony Towns, you're going to have to come out with a little bit more... A little bit more energy, a little bit more pizzazz on the offensive side of the ball. You've done well on the defensive side of the ball. Like I said, he's four blocks. And he's had some really nice traps on the in the corner and on the baseline. He's just forcing everybody out of the paint, doing really, really well. But if I'm Towns, I have to recognize the situation. I have to recognize what's going on in the game. And I have to say, you know what? It's time for me to take over offensively. So we'll see what happens in the second half. And yeah, I'll resume the pod after the third quarter. Okay, that is the end of the third. And uh, it's 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 not looking good for Memphis. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about the game more holistically than we've we've been seeing it so going into the fourth it's 83 67 minnesota game uh i was watching the game via my hulu subscription and hulu is currently down so that's pretty sweet but so i missed probably i missed like the last half of the third quarter but talking about the third quarter as a whole once again, it's it's the same stuff I've been saying about the rest of the game. It's just stagnant offense and letting the Timberwolves push the pace. If you're a Timberwolves fan right now, you've got to be feeling great going into the fourth about your team's chances. It's really tough to watch if you're a Grizzlies fan right now. It's, um, you know, you can't let your best player just get eaten alive like this. I mean, Jaw's not... I d saying he's not contributing sounds really, really harsh. But, I mean, the numbers... The numbers don't lie. I mean, Jaw's got 11 points. He's 3 for 10. He's had a terrible game. He's minus 3. They've been really struggling. And, like I said, part of it is because... Jaws having to pick the ball up so early in he's trying to pick, he has to pick the ball up so early when he crosses half court. I don't know what the adjustments you make for the fourth quarter are. I mean it's 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 tough. This is going to be one of those games I'm going to have to watch back again. I'm I'm going to have to watch it at least one more time to get a feel for what exactly the problem is, other than the stuff that I've been saying, obviously watching something happen live and then going back and watching the film is 100% different. And 
Honestly, it looks like the Grizzlies just came into this game expecting the Timberwolves to roll over because they had such a dominant win in Game 2. Clearly, that has not happened. The Grizzlies are going to have to show something special coming up in this fourth quarter if they want to overcome the 16-point deficit that they've dug themselves into. All right, that's the end of the fourth. That's ball game, and uh, goodness gracious. If you're a Memphis fan, you, your heart's got to be palpitating at the end of games like that. I know, even if you're confident in your team, like there's there's got to be a lot going through your mind as the game is coming to a close against a Timberwolves team that, despite like the matchup thing, shouldn't be able to hang with you in close games. Like if you're the Grizzlies, you got to find a way to win these, and they did. So good for them. Let's. I don't want to talk about the fourth quarter as a whole. Um, the Grizzlies just became the Grizzlies in the fourth. They erased the deficit. They pulled the game even. Um, they just be, they became the Grizzlies in front of your eyes in the fourth quarter. They started locking down on defense. Um, you know, they they kept the ball moving on offense. Things didn't feel as stagnant as they were in the beginning of the game. But I really just want to talk about the last three minutes. That's where these games are won. These games are won in the final in the final closing minutes. Um, but before we do that, big shout outs to a lot of the performers on this team. Um, he was technically minus one while he was out there, but Brandon Clark, Brandon Clark had a great game. He, you know, 20 points off the bench, eight rebounds. He had a block, um, was just a menace defensively, and no fouls. So Brandon Clark was doing his thing coming off the bench. Uh, Desmond Bain, leading scorer, 18 for 19, 7 for 15 from the three-point line. That's 46.7%. Great shooting night for him. And, I mean, he was just shooting the lights out. They were plus 14 with him on the floor. And Ja, unsurprisingly, had the highest plus-minus on the team. He was plus 20 despite his seven turnovers I mean the like I said earlier the the wolves were just forcing him into these really tight passing windows and crowding him on his dribbles and double teaming him so forced him into a lot of turnovers but he still ended the game with a triple double 16 points 10 rebounds 10 assists three blocks as well I feel like that even though one of those blocks let's be honest is probably a goaltending it was awesome man jumped into the stratosphere to grab it but it's probably a goaltend. Let's just be honest with ourselves. But let's talk about let's talk about the last three minutes. So all the times I'm about to say are rough estimations. It's hard to write it down and watch the game at the same time when the game is so tight. Going into about two minutes, 47 seconds left to play. Score is, or excuse me, coming into the, uh, I can't even read my own handwriting. Okay, coming into the fourth, okay, in the, in the closing minutes of the fourth, it was 93-88, to Cat catches the ball, top of the key, turns around, brings him within three, hits a nice little jumper to bring them 93-90. Now, if you're a Cat, this is your time now to start getting the ball inside. You haven't been getting the ball inside the whole game, now is the chance. Hey, it's winning time right now. There's less than two minutes. We're within three. This team has a hard time guarding me inside. Let's go ahead and push it inside. He did not do that. Then, it's 99-92. With about a minute 45 left. Cat makes a terrible decision with the ball in his hands. Gets a walk. Kind of an unforced error. He, he had a pump. His man jumped on the closeout and instead of taking that drive well like, the great thing about cat skill set is he can take those drives like take people off the dribble dude like you're good at that do it and he didn't and he thought about it too much he thought about it too much ended up with a terrible turnover it's 99 92 with a, with about a minute 45 left there's under two minutes left and you can make it a two possession game terrible turnover horrible decision making if you're supposed to be the star, you can't be doing stuff like that. And then with about a minute 17 left, Dylan Brooks 
to me, hits the dagger. Makes it 102.92. Nice little size-up move. Sidestep into a three. As soon as it left his hands, you could just tell. It was cash as soon as it left. But the big... I think the... I know that's the dagger offensively. But my favorite play of the final three-ish minutes is a Desmond Bain block with about a minute 10 left. And here's the reason I like it so much. It's on a defensive rotation. Bain is kind of clogging the paint. He swings over to the ball on a closeout. He knows the ball is going up because that's the, that's the best shot that you can take if you're Minnesota. Gets a great block. And that encapsulates kind of who the Grizzlies are. And encapsulates what they should be. They took until the fourth quarter to win the stinking game. But that's also what differentiates them from these other teams. That's why they're the number two team in the West. Is because when it comes time to win these games, they find a way to win. And that's what you have to do. But I think that block, as a defensive possession, the way the team was playing, the rotation, the effort to make that block, you can put a stamp on that. That's how the Grizzlies play. And the... The final nail in the coffin was Ja had a clutch layup with less than a minute left. Um, driving to his left, going towards Towns. Um, and, you know, Towns contested well without fouling. That's, I mean, that's really all you could have asked him to do. I mean, Ja was not having a great night at the free throw line. He went 5 for 10. It's it's a tough call to make whether you tell Towns to foul there or not. But to me, we can't let Jaw just come in here and get that layup. I mean, again, it was a tough finish. It's not like it was just, you know, gift-wrapped for him or anything. But what a final three minutes of the game. Um, you know, now Minnesota's in a position. They're, they're, in, they're in a position. They've... They're down 2-1. They still stole a game in Memphis, which is good, especially so early in the series. Um, but being down 2-1 against a team that is as gritty as this uh, Memphis team, it's going to be tough. But we'll see how, how Minnesota adjusts. They had the game in their hands, and... They just they, they didn't pull it out. They just had some lapses late game. And you can't come out super, super fiery and then second half just kind of disappear. I mean, let's talk about... I know I've been giving Towns a, a lot of garbage and some of you are going to be like, oh, you're being really tough on him. The man took four shots the entire game. He took four shots. You're the guy. You, you had eight points... You're supposed to be the guy? That's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. Not just against this Grizzly team, against any postseason opponent. And the thing is, when he shot the ball, they were going in. He was 3 for 4. It's hard to tell how you're going to be over the trajectory of a game when you only shoot 4 stinking shots. And you could say, well, his... His contributions this game were a lot more on the defensive side, and I'll give you that. He ended the game with five blocks, but he also had five fouls, and he turned the ball over four times. And he had five rebounds. He played a terrible game. If you, if you showed me this game, and you photoshopped Carl Anthony Towns out of it, it would look almost exactly the same. Almost exactly the same. And like I said, defensively, he did he did play well in the beginning. I mean, four of those five blocks came very, very early. But it's 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 garbage. And the reason he's so he was so ineffective, he's getting double teamed with the ball. And part of the reason he's getting double teamed is because he won't get his behind in the post and go to work. 
you would love to see him do more of that because that's going to open up his game as a whole. But Timberwolves, man, blew a 26-point lead. The Grizzlies outscored Minnesota 37-12 to in the fourth quarter. But you're supposed to be these these dogs on the defensive end. I just... I don't see it. I, I said it earlier that D'Angelo Russell is the X factor for this team. When he does well, the team does well. He went 9 for 21 tonight. He had 22 points. He had 8 assists. Had 3 turnovers. They were plus 4 with him on the floor. But the problem is D'Angelo Russell took 21 shots and Carl Anthony Towns took 4. Can't happen. Stuff like that can't happen. We'll see how Minnesota adjusts for this next game. But with all that said, we're going to move on to the Warriors-Nuggets game. So let's see how this one goes. All right, that's quarter number one in the books for Nuggets-Warriors. And I just realized I didn't take any physical notes. I was too busy watching the game. That's pretty embarrassing. But let's talk about it, though. The Nuggets starting off the strongest they started off all series, which is not surprising. It's their first game at home. Uh, that home court advantage, that home cooking, it means something, especially uh, in these games. But the the big difference is Jokic coming out very, very strong. Five for seven in this first quarter, six rebounds. Um, had a, a pretty bad turnover, but he's coming out and hitting the post very quickly. He's, he's not taking a lot of time to try to set stuff up and... Part of that is recognition of what they've been doing to him the past couple games. He's not going to be able to hold it for very long down there. So him just being able to make quick moves down in the post or get the ball moving, he's going to have to continue to do that uh, throughout this game. The final score of the quarter is 34-32 Golden State. So we'll see how the, the game progresses. DeMarcus Cousins, though, he, I mean, he only came in for about a minute, like a little over a minute, but... Four quick points for him coming in. Um, he's going to have to be effective when Jokic comes out because obviously this team is missing its two big offensive engines in Michael Porter Jr. and especially Jamal Murray. So when Jokic is out, somebody's going to have to step up. And if that person is DeMarcus Cousins, then good. There's, there's not anybody on... Golden State's bench that will be in when DeMarcus Cousins is in, that can guard him. I expect if he gets Bielitsa on him more tonight, he's going to be looking to attack that a lot more. So excited to see that. Um, Golden State just doing what Golden State does, man. I mean, Clay Thompson, seven quick buckets. He's three for four. If you're Denver, you're just praying that he does not have a monster night. Good luck with that. Uh, Draymond Green doing things that Draymond does. He hit a three. He almost hit a second one. The Denver Nuggets fandom kind of lucked out on that one. It rimmed out. Jordan Poole, three for five to start. Andrew Wiggins has hit one. Curry off the bench. Best sixth man of all time. I think that's probably fair to say. Three for five. One for three from three. They've been really getting on to him on those those high screener rolls. They're still big man hunting. Golden State is still, you know, they're hunting the Jokic's and the the cousins's and they're 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 hunting that. So we'll see how or if Denver can adjust coming into the second quarter. Alright, Denver fans. It is now halftime. The score is 69-59 Warriors. But I do think going into the halftime, the Nuggets are actually in great position to make a couple of adjustments and get this thing going in the second half. Um, the Nuggets forced seven turnovers in the second quarter. They were really active in the passing lanes, and that was really the biggest thing, is just not allowing some of those easy passes to open shooters, and that's going to make a huge difference as the game continues. But here's, here's a big thing. So Draymond 
Draymond Green is the primary playmaker for the Warriors. If you watch basketball at the in the NBA for longer than seven minutes, you know that. You know that this Warriors team is really good, and Draymond is... And he has embraced his role as the guy who gets everybody involved. So that way, Steph can just focus on scoring, and Clay can just focus on scoring and playing good defense. So he makes the game easier for everybody else. With that being said, Golden State was running the pick and roll, or they were having Draymond bring the ball up the middle, and especially off some of those pick and rolls, nobody was coming up. Like, Jokic was playing drop coverage, and he was dropping back, and would just kind of let Draymond come into the middle. And the biggest problem with that is, I understand that the the mindset is let Draymond shoot it. Let Draymond score. But he's too good at his role. He knows his role far, far too well for you to be able to get away with that. I think the only note, like the biggest note that I wrote down was, and of course now my notebook is over there, but the biggest note that I wrote down you can't let Draymond pick you apart throughout the course of the rest of the course of this game. Um, even in passes that did not result in assists for him, were still fantastic passes and got the defense rotating. And we can't allow that. Draymond has nine assists coming into halftime. It's rough. It's rough to watch. Uh, but you've got to give. You've got to get the ball out of his hands and not to open shooters. So you can't just let him waltz into the middle and pick you apart like that. He's too smart for it. Can't You can't let that happen. Uh, Jokic is having a really good game thus far. He's 8 for 14. He's 1 for 2 from the 3-point line. But he's got 8 rebounds, 2 assists. But he's got no help. The next highest scorer is DeMarcus Cousins. Reggie Miller made a really interesting declaration that he thinks that Mike Malone should put uh, Cousins and Jokic in at the same time for like a Twin Tower style situation. And on the surface, that's a really interesting idea because you have those two guys, they can both shoot they, you know, Jokic is the arguably the best passer in the NBA. Uh, the best passing big man by far. It's, it's not even close. So all you Bill Walton stands out there, don't talk to me, okay? Jokic is the best passing big man of all time. I'm confident enough to say that, even so early in his career, confident to say that. The problem with putting him and Cousins in at the same time is Reggie Miller said, well, who's going to guard those two guys? And you know what? That's fair. But the the flip side of that coin is who the heck are they going to guard? The Warriors came out half number one doing the same thing they've been doing for the whole series, and they're just big man hunting. They're trying to hunt people in that pick and roll. And... It would be bad to have both Boogie and Jokic out there unless you're playing some kind of zone. And I don't recall the Nuggets playing zone throughout the season. I'm sure they they did at some point, maybe. But not to the point that I even really noticed how effective it was. So that, I mean, that'd be your best option there. So you'd be sacrificing... I think you'd be sacrificing too much. It is an interesting little thought experiment, though. That would be a fun lineup just to throw out in, like, garbage time of a game when the series is about to be over or something. You just throw out the two big guys and let them eat, see how it works. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't work at all, but it would be kind of fun to see. Adjustments that the Nuggets need to make going into the second half. Too many open threes. Part of what I was saying about Draymond being able to just pick them apart, just waltzing into the lane throwing whatever pass he feels like. Part of that was 
he was just hitting guys for open threes. I mean, Gary Payton, Gary Payton the second is three for three from the three point line. Steph's only two for five, but Clay is two for four. Jordan Poole is three for four, and um, even Draymond has hit one, and Wiggins has hit the only one that he's taken. So we're just there. I say we like I'm playing, but they're just giving up too many open threes. And obviously, with a team that shoots this well, you cannot do that. And I know that for the Nuggets, this is the worst. This is like the worst possible matchup they could have gotten. Uh, because everything that the Warriors are is so counter to what the Nuggets are. Especially now that they don't have, like I said, they don't have Murray or Michael Porter Jr. So it's just... It's tough. It's tough. What I did like, though, is when Draymond went out, the Nuggets, in that second quarter, they were a lot more comfortable going to the middle, attacking off the dribble, trying to get to the cup. I would hope to see more of that. Um, you know, and even go at Draymond a little bit. I mean, you got to go at him a little bit. You know, we can't just let him dictate everything he's only got one foul but you can't let him dictate everything so trying to get in there is going to be one of the best things they can do if Draymond when Draymond is off the floor um Cousins came out in the second quarter was a force when he came out the second quarter just putting pressure on the defense uh, scoring low I hope to see more DeMarcus Cousins in the second half doing what it is DeMarcus Cousins does but We'll see what happens. If you're the Warriors, there's really nothing to change. Except for the turnovers. Uh, like I said, in the in the second quarter, the Nuggets forced seven turnovers, and a lot of that was just due to lazy passing from the Warriors. Um, off those pick and rolls that they would run in the middle with Steph as the ball handler. Steph just was kind of lobbing a couple up there, just making it real... Real easy, free chicken to grab, and you can't you can't do that. Denver is desperate in this. You can't just be giving them the ball. I know that you're confident in. I know you're confident in your ability to score and your ability even to defend this team, but you cannot lose a turnover battle. This is no time to get lazy. So Golden State's going to have to clean up some of that stuff. But other than that, it's really hard to find anything that they've done poorly. The whole team is just, they're on it, you know? Um, Denver did, like I said, they did a good job recognizing when there were mismatches that they could attack. Having the iguodala Bialitsa combo in there, Denver attacked that really well. So we'll see what kind of adjustments they make for the second half. But if you're a Denver fan, might be sweating just a little bit right now. But I wouldn't worry too much about, honestly, if Denver's going to win a game, this has got to be the one. Because 2-1 is still not a great, it's still not great series odds in your favor, but it's a whole lot better than 3-0. So this is a must win for Denver. And we'll see what happens come half number two. Well, that is quarter number three in the books. And if you're a Denver Nuggets fan, you gotta be feeling pretty good about your chances right now. Um, that third quarter. It, t- it took a minute, but Denver finally came alive. And that's thanks in large part to the reigning MVP, obviously. But Aaron Gordon really came alive in uh, in the third, too. So let's talk about it. Jokic, by the way, end of the third. 26 and 16. He's 11 for 17 from the floor. Having a, a great game. Four turnovers and only five assists, but the way that Golden State is playing him, not much you can do, but most of those assists came uh, in that third quarter, really started getting other guys involved. Um, like I said, going into halftime, the when when the Nuggets saw, when Jokic recognized that, hey, I've got Bielitsa on me, it's time to go to work. And, I mean, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. Bowens Highland... Hit some great shots. He had uh, 
a vet-like move in the in the paint, hopping in front of his man, a little finger roll, and uh, a, a nice three from the corner, almost stepping out of bounds. We've just been seeing this entire first round of the playoffs, we've just been seeing young guards absolutely killing it and just growing up in front of our face, which is really, really awesome. It's weird to say those guys are growing up in front of our face because a lot of them are my age. Um, that That's what's been happening, though. And, and Bones Highland has certainly been one of those guys uh, for Denver. Y- you got to be super impressed with how he's been contributing. Um, Golden State. Golden State, you've lost a lot of momentum. Lost a lot of momentum. Now they're going into the fourth, down two. It's... Uh, 89-87 Nuggets. So, now, this is where the experience of Golden State comes in. Obviously, you've got a lot of guys who have not been part of championship teams, but the guys that really matter, the guys who are the heart of the team, this is where that veteran leadership comes in. And, obviously, if you lose this game, not the end of the world. But, there's going to be a real gut check. This is the first gut check for Golden State in this postseason. So we'll see We'll see how they do. Um, Draymond, has, obviously, he's been facilitating very well. Ten assists. Uh, Clay, kind of a quiet, kind of a quiet third. Uh, I, I expect that he'll be coming out looking to get his in the fourth. And he's got 20 at the end of the third. Jordan Poole has 21. Curry has 19. Um, all those guys, I mean, they're they're shooting incredibly well. They're still trying to hunt some of those big man matchups for uh, in that pick and roll, rather. But the energy that Denver displayed within that third quarter, that could very well be the tail of the game. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is Jokic was clearly really, really gassed. And a lot of that was just because Golden State, they're, they're targeting him. Every action that they have offensively, some way, somehow, they're going to get Jokic involved. Even if he's not like the primary defender, they're going to put him in pick-and-roll situations. They're going to put him in DHOs, uh, dribble handoffs. They're going to find ways to involve him. They're going to have somebody post up with him just for a second. They're, they're finding a way to keep him active while he's on defense, and who knows? That could very well be the tail of the tape when this whole thing is over, but great game. We'll see how the fourth quarter shakes out, and hopefully it'll be an exciting finish. Well, Denver fans, I'm sorry to report. I don't know why I'm saying that, because this is obviously coming out after the game. Man, tough fourth quarter. Really tough fourth quarter. But the thing that won this game is experience. You know? Golden State, the core of that team, a lot of that team hasn't seen the NBA Finals in person, but the core of that team, both systematically and emotionally, that's what won this game. It's no surprise to me that Draymond Green makes the play that seals the game. That steal at the end against Jokic, if Jokic scores right there, the DNA of those last, of those closing moments changes completely. So it doesn't shock me that Draymond, whose fingerprints are all over the game, just in general, it does not shock me that the play that he made is the play that sealed the thing. You know? Let's take a look at some, some end-of-game stats that I thought were interesting. Um, well, I Denver. I I know it's hard to accept the outcome, but I mean Denver was rolling there at the end. Like I said, Aaron Gordon came alive in the third quarter and he was pretty active in the fourth. But the the team as a whole did really well getting into the bonus early in the fourth, and they got to the free throw line. I mean, 10, 11 free throws, something like that in the fourth quarter. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. I forgot to write it down, but no problems getting to the line. But getting to the line can only help you so much when Clay gets 26, Jordan Poole gets 27, 
and Steph Curry gets 27. Off the bench, mind you. That's just, that's tough to overcome. The worst shooting percentage of, of those three was Clay, or excuse me, was Steph. Steph shot 52% from the floor, and he had the worst percentage out of those big three, so it's it's tough to swallow. Uh, another another guy who I, th I think was a little bit underrated for this game, the announcers weren't talking about him too much, he only played 14 minutes, but Gary Payton, Gary Payton played very, very quality minutes, was hitting shots when he was in. Uh, he was 4 for 4 from the floor. Uh, he was 1 for 1 from the free throw line. Had just timely plays. I mean, hit shots when he was supposed to. Was a defensive pest. Uh, you know, had a steal. I feel like his, his contributions are probably going to go a little bit underrated in this game. But Gary Payton had a great game. But it, it doesn't matter when you have three guys who get nearly 90 points by themselves. You know? I mean, that's... I, I don't know what you do about that, because you can't... When they're all three on the floor at the same time, stopping all of them at the same time, that's a tough task. And uh, unfortunately, Denver wasn't up to the challenge. And... It, it's... It's so tough to watch this Denver team. I've said it throughout the pod it's tough to watch this Denver team because you know that their go-to guy or not their go-to guy because Jokic is the go-to guy but their number two and number three options are not there and it's it's hard to say how the season shakes out how this postseason shakes out if they have those two guys I still think it's a tough matchup for them even if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are there I still feel like this is a tough matchup especially with the emergence of Jordan Poole being who he is this postseason. I mean, throughout the entire season, he was he was good, but especially how he stepped up in this postseason. I mean, it's incredible, and I don't know if those two guys could help you overcome that. Uh, obviously, they would help a lot, but there, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it than just having those two guys back on offense. But Denver... You couldn't have asked for more from your MVP. Not really. I mean, 37 points, 18 rebounds, three steals, and quite a few deflections. Uh, he played really... I feel like his defense, Jokic's defense, goes a little bit unsung because he doesn't get he doesn't get the stats or whatever. He's not known as a great shot blocker or what have you, but he's a really solid defender. Um, and even though he's a bit slow-footed, I mean, he... In a pick-and-roll heavy league... And he was involved in nearly every action tonight. He did his part. Um, the, the big problem is... The, the team just didn't... The Nuggets did not put the nail in the coffin when they had the chance. And a lot of that is youth. A, a lot of that is youth. But now that I'm looking at it, now that I think about it, I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't think it is youth. I think it's, this team is just, it's, Denver is overwhelmed. They're overmatched. You know, Aaron Gordon finally had a really, really good game this post. I mean, 18 points, 12 rebounds, uh, 7 for 13 from the floor. He hit a three-pointer. He was 3 for 4 from the line. Had 6 offensive rebounds. 6 offensive rebounds. Uh, I would classify that as pretty good. He was in foul trouble. He did have five, but he had a great game. Um, Will Barton had 13. He was, you know, he had 13, but it took him 13 shots. He was five for 13, shot 38% from the floor. It's hard for me to, to say what more can you do. Um... It's, it's, it's a tough call. Personally, I would like to see Austin Rivers in the starting lineup just to see if that gives you a different kind of dynamic to play around with. He played 21 minutes tonight, uh, only six points, but he was two for two from the field. He only shot three-pointers, so he, he had two threes. Uh, he was in foul trouble. 
but I don't know, man. It's 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 a tough call. But you gotta you gotta do something. Bones Highland had 14 minutes. Maybe give the young fella more minutes. Like you, we gotta figure something out. If we're if you're Denver, you gotta figure something out. Um, I mean, that being said, they really tonight just shorted up defensively in this game. They shorted up defensively. They had their offense come alive. Funnily enough, their offense came alive after they started having some big defensive stops. Aaron Gordon kind of got himself going in the in the second half by making defensive plays, and that momentum kind of carried him into having a better offensive night. Like I said, six offensive boards. So this game was in Denver's hands. They had it. And they just couldn't put that last nail in there. Nobody's ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. So, who knows? Nuggets fans, that means there's a chance. There's a chance for you to be the first. But this Warriors team, they're just, there's something else, man. Jordan Poole tonight, uh, with about 2.15 left, Jordan Poole had a wide-open jumper from the three-point line. And instead of taking it, the game is close. The game is close. At that point, I think the score was 112 to 111, and Jordan Poole could have taken that wide-open three. Maybe would have hit it, maybe wouldn't have. But he decided, great basketball IQ, he decided, I'm going to take this thing to the rack and made this contorting layup that was awesome. Uh, Ended up being a good decision. But that's the kind of savviness and the kind of basketball IQ that just seems to come as a product of being in Golden State. Reggie Miller, early in the game, made a comment about how he thinks they're teaching courses on how to cut to the to the basket in Golden State. And I can't say that they're not. I mean, the whole team, they just they pop and they zip and they do all the little things right. Even stuff like that, where Jordan Poole, like I said, great three-point shooter, decided to take the ball inside and attack and see what that led to. I don't know if every young player makes that decision. Um, And it's one of those things where if he makes that decision and the ball doesn't go in, he gets absolutely dragged the next day. Because it's like, oh, you had a wide open three and you didn't take it, but... I, I like the attack mindset. I like the aggressiveness that he showed trying to get inside and make something shake, and he did. So I would say it worked out. But yeah, Denver fans, tough break. There's going to have to be some adjustments around the ball movement of Golden State. Like, like I said earlier, Draymond Green, you can't let Draymond Green pick you apart because that's something he can do. Um, you know, and... We, There has to be some kind of defensive scheming to limit the Splash Brothers' production. I don't know if that's switching to a zone defense, because here's the thing, is they're involving your MVP in all the actions. I've I've said that, but he played 38 minutes tonight. They were 38 hard-fought minutes. It wasn't like he got to coast while he was in there, so it it is a hard-fought game, and... Being able to sort of mitigate some of that action that they're trying to put him in, you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to switch to his own at, at at some point. Let's try to pull up some synergy statistics real quick while I'm thinking about it, because the thing the thing with running a zone in the NBA at this level, particularly if you're trying to play a team like Golden State, is they just move. They just move so well. So, off the top of my head, let's look at... Let's look at the type of defenses. So, according to Synergy, half-court situations, it looks like the Denver Nuggets played zone defense about 3.5% of the time. 265 possessions of it. And according to their statistics... This is just statistically, this is, and this is just off the top of my head. This is looking, I'm literally looking at the synergy stats right now. 
Um, who knows? Who knows how this defense, I mean, really plays. Let's just go. I'm just going to go ahead and watch one or two clips of this. So if you hear me clicking around, I apologize. But I mean, let's let's see this. So this is a game. And it looks like this zone for these first couple plays is mostly coming with that bench unit. So you've got like Bones Highland and Jeff Green and Rivers and Boogie and uh, uh, Bryn Forbes. So, you know, it's... You're, you have to figure it out, though. So, like, here's one with them, with their starting lineup out there. Minus Monte Morris. So, it's Bryn Forbes in Monte Morris's place. And just this a standard little 2-3 zone. And this is coming against San Antonio. And you know I love my Spurs. But San Antonio, not exactly a great, uh, a great barometer on how good you are defensively. You're going to have to switch to this zone. You can't keep letting them just bully Jokic into these actions. And I, I don't know what else to say other than that, but he they're just wearing him out so, so much. It's tough to watch. It's, just, it's tough to watch. And again, I know that things would be a lot different if they had the guys that they're supposed to have, if they had Michael Porter Jr. But Michael Porter Jr. is hurt all the time. So... Who knows if he would even be available if not like his most recent injury. And I'd, I wouldn't want to... I'm not saying that I wish ill on on him or anything. But like, who's to say he would even be available? But even if you had Jamal Murray, would that, would that be enough? I mean, I think that's a fair question. Is that... Would that even be enough to stop this? I was expecting this... this series to be really really fun and it's just it's kind of deflate I'm not even a Denver fan I like Denver but I'm not even I wouldn't consider myself a Denver fan but it's it's tough to watch you know and maybe having that that twin tower lineup out there that Reggie Miller suggested um maybe that's the way maybe that's the way you go maybe having those two guys out there at the same time maybe that helps uh you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's look at... I'm going to look at... So there's only one possession that Synergy has of, during the season of Denver playing a zone against Golden State. I'm just going to scrub it real quick. So it looks like they've got... Forbes is not out there. So in his place, there's Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green... Looks like Jokic and come on, come into frame. And Barton is out there. And Brent Forbes is out there. So, uh, so let's let's look at this one possession real quick. I know this is really anticlimactic because you guys can't see it. So Steph brings up the ball, and they've actually got Aaron Gordon playing up top. They've got him playing the, the weak side elbow, left side elbow in this little 2-3 zone that they've got. They've got Jeff Green out at the the right corner. They've got Will Barton in the left corner. And they've got Jokic in the middle, obviously. This one possession... This one possession makes it look good, but you know the sample size just isn't there, but statistically purely from a statistical standpoint and like I said this is having not not watch a ton I mean the 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 team overall is an average defensive team they're giving up 1.016 points per possession they're an average defensive team statistically the zone defense has worked for them in the 265 possessions they've given up 246 points in those 265 possessions so maybe try switching to a zone and hopefully that helps. I mean, that's that's all you can ask, really. And that one clip that Synergy has... Oh, that's embarrassing. My computer audio is going off. The one clip that Synergy even has of that 
of them using the zone against Golden State, it's not even this their newfound death lineup. I mean, who they got out here? They've got there's Clay out there, there's Steph out there, there's Gary Payton, there's Wiggins, and looks like Looney. That's really grainy footage. Yeah, number five, so it's Looney. I don't know if this if this zone works against this new layup, so this new uh, lineup rather. So we'll we'll see how things shake out. Um, that, that that's the only that's the only thing I can think of to try to slow this team down is the defensive things have to change. Got to stop letting Jokic be so involved in the in the, the the switching of the defense. It just it can't happen. But yeah, so. Those are my thoughts on the, the two games I got to watch today. Unfortunately, I did not get to watch um, Denver and the Mavericks, or Denver and the Mavericks, um, watch the Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz. Um, but yeah, if you guys like this format of doing it quarter by quarter, let me know, and I can do more stuff like this in the future, or I can just do the whole game recaps. I felt like I had to repeat myself a lot just because that's the nature of how the games are played. But yeah, be sure to let me know if you enjoyed it. And I'll see you guys next time.